Well, good morning. I trust that your Bibles are already open to 1 Samuel. I'm glad to see everyone survived the uh, winter apocalypse 2020. It was scary this year, so hopefully we actually get more snow later. Um, you don't like snow? Bah humbug. Uh, come on. It snows great. All right, we're going to jump right into it. Our uh, truth statement uh, will be up on the screen for you, and we'll try to keep it, keep it up there for a bit. Uh, do not reject God as Lord, trusting in empty things. Rather, remember the Lord, obey his word, and serve him with all of your heart. Do not reject the Lord, trusting in, or do not reject God as Lord, trusting in empty things, but remember the Lord, obey his word, and serve him with all of your heart. Um, Americans, we love security, and, and uh, it's, we can see that in any number of ways, but the uh, home security industry has, has just grown by leaps and bounds in the last several years, especially as uh, DIY uh, security uh, has become uh, more possible for uh, for homeowners, um, it's gotten really cheap to buy ch- uh, little security cameras that connect to your cell phone and, and uh, give you a notification when uh, Amazon drops off a package or when a dog's in your yard or, or whatever. Um, the industry, the home security industry alone, is uh, a forty-seven billion dollar industry uh, right now. Uh, we we love security, right? Not just in our homes. We love it. Uh, we love job security, right? We we want uh, the job that we like until we don't like it anymore. Uh, and, and no one can tell us any different. We want security in relationships that we have, uh, whether it's friends or family, uh, romantic interest. Uh, Israel, they had enjoyed feeling secure uh, under Samuel. We saw that, or we ended last week in chapter 7. Um, they felt really secure. They, they prospered because they were finally serving the Lord with their whole heart. They were following the Lord. And then we jump into chapter 8, and apparently we fast forward quite a bit because Samuel is old now. Um, and, and he has appointed uh, two of his sons to be judges in, in a place called Beersheba, um, but they didn't walk in Samuel's ways. They were not like Samuel. Uh, so this security under Samuel now is being threatened. Uh, Samuel's old. This means at some point he will, he will die. And, and we've got these two sons that are knuckleheads that do not know the Lord. They're wicked. Um, and it reminds us of earlier in, in 1 Samuel with Eli's sons. Who, who were wicked men as well. They were corrupt. And, and there are some differences, but, but there are similarities here that, that I think we're, we're supposed to feel as readers and hearers. Now, um, uh, being a judge, Samuel is a judge, and, and you don't pass the, the, being a judge on to the sons necessarily. Gideon was a judge. We hear about him in um, Judges chapter 8. And uh, the people liked him so much, they said, we want you to rule over us. And not only you, but after you, your sons, and then your grandsons. Um, and Gideon refused. This is what he said in 8.23. He said, I will not rule over you. My son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Gideon understood something that Israel needed to understand, something that we need to understand is that we need God to rule over us. We need God to be king on the throne. No one else is qualified. You are not qualified, even though that tends to be our default. We want to rule our own lives. We were made to have God, Lord, over our lives, to perfectly rule us. Now, Eli and his sons, I mentioned them earlier, um, they were wicked 
But Eli was right there. They were serving in the same place. Eli knew what they were doing. He should have put his foot down. He should have prevented them from doing what they did. It was different with with Samuel's sons. Samuel's sons were serving in Beersheba about 50 miles south of um, of where Samuel lived. And they were doing wicked things. I don't know if he went down and checked on them from time to time, but he didn't have the direct supervision that Eli had with his sons. He certainly didn't have the influence um, over, over his sons, but nonetheless, his sons were corrupt. They took bribes. They perverted justice. Uh, the description is that they didn't walk in the ways of Samuel because Samuel walked in the ways of the Lord. So even with these differences, it does feel really similar to Eli's sons. So you can put yourself in the shoes of the Israelite elders and understand the panic, understand the fear that they had. Just like us, they wanted security. They wanted to prosper. Um, We want life in 2020 to stay at least as good as it was in 2019, if not increase, but we certainly don't want it to decrease. We don't want it to get worse. The the Israelite elders come up to Samuel in verse 5 and they say, Behold, you are old. And if you think about starting a sentence that way to someone, probably don't. Behold, you are old. Your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. Samuel, our future is in jeopardy. Give us a king. Give us a king like all the nations that we see. And this this is not foreign to us, especially if you're around kids or if you have kids. There's going to be something, many somethings, that your kids want because they see every other kid with it. Just think of fidget spinners just a few years ago. But it's not just kids that are susceptible to that, huh? Adults were susceptible too. And it takes more expensive forms, right? Maybe it's it's cars or a boat. Maybe it's um, even kitchen gadgets or bigger TVs or or phones. Or maybe maybe it's someone's job. Maybe it's uh, the relationship that they have, a marriage, how their marriage is going compared to yours. It's easy for us to look around, and and it looks like the grass is so much greener there or there, and we find ourselves longing for those things. Well, Samuel's response helps us see that this longing that Israel had for for a king that was not God wasn't good, and God will confirm that later. Verse six, but the thing displeased Samuel, when they said, give us a king to judge us, and Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. Samuel's ticked off. And as a reader, as a listener, you don't expect God to say, yes, obey their voice. Give them what they've asked for. Now, this proposal um, was actually predicted years before in Deuteronomy. Moses speaking to the people, chapter 17, verse 14 He says, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Again, as as listeners, it's surprising for Moses to say yes. Yes, you can set a king over you, but he says it will not be like the other nations. He lays out these conditions. So this request in Samuel by the elders was anticipated, 
It was anticipated in, in, in the giving of the law, it, but they were directly challenging the law. They were, in effect, asking to opt out of the covenant with the Lord and adopt what the pagan nations were doing instead. And it's confirmed in the rest of verse 7. It says, uh, God says this to Samuel, For they have not rejected you, but have rejected me from being king over them. In wanting a king like all the other nations, they were rejecting God as their king ruling over them. They wanted a king that they could see. They thought a king like this would give them security and safety, that a king like this would give them stability, that, that this would give them um, uh, a predictable governing authority rather than having to depend on the unseen God. This is why Samuel sees this request as evil, because it's a rejection of Yahweh. It's a rejection of God's ways and his rule. It was Israel's way to find security apart from the Lord who delivered them over and over and over again. But we know this isn't just an ancient Israel problem. This is your problem today. This is my problem we do this even though we have way more to go on than Israel. We, we have all of Scripture to look, to remember God's goodness, his faithfulness. We know, we know that Jesus is the king that we need. We know that he's a good king, a king that loves us, a king that sacrificed himself for us. He's a king that's proven himself completely faithful, even though we're unfaithful. But we still struggle to trust Christ the king. Israel didn't trust the Lord. Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust that he's good? Do you trust that he, he really is all-knowing, that he truly is all-powerful? Do you trust that he's working everything for your good to make you more and more into the image of his son if you trust in him? So do we fully trust God with our future? Do we fully trust God with, with our career? Do we fully trust God with our loved ones? Do you fully trust God with your living situation? Do you fully trust God with the diagnosis that your family member got? Do you fully trust God with your marriage? What do you not trust him with? Non-religious people reject uh, Christ in a way that's pretty obvious. They just want nothing to do with him. But churchgoers um, we're a little more sneaky in our rejection of Christ. We want him in parts of our lives, and yet there are parts that we try and keep him out of. And God said that, that they were rejecting him as king, and they were doing it in the second way. Right? Israel is so good at saying, Lord, we want you, but not really or not fully trusting in him, not fully depending on him. And it's not like this is the first time Israel's done this. Right? We've seen this throughout their history. In the wilderness, they wanted guaranteed food. They wanted, they wanted better water sources. They wanted a strong army rather than the Lord to be their protector. And we do this. I say, Lord, I trust you as my provider, but really I trust in a guaranteed paycheck. We say, Lord, I, I trust you for my daily bread, but really we trust in that 401k that we've been stocking away for a while. We say, Lord, I trust you with my heart, but you're constantly looking for relationships to meet those places in your heart that God was made to meet. And still, God tells Samuel, obey their voice. Do what they've said. 
this uh, series is called God of Reversals. It's something that Matt and Gary came up with. I love the title. I've done a terrible job the last two weeks talking about it at all. <laughs> so uh, we've, seen, we've seen the God of Reversals throughout the book. Hannah's barrenness was reversed by the birth of Samuel and, and then the other kids that she had as well. Uh, we saw Israel's prophet Eli and his, his sons. It, it was a hot mess, and they were leading Israel. They were leading Israel away from the Lord. And then God provides Samuel, who is a good judge, that leads Israel to wholeheartedly serve. We saw the God of reversals last week as, as both Israel and the Philistines thought that they could, they could have the power of God for themselves, that they could somehow control and use his power. And, and yet God showed them that his power is unlike any other power. His power is unrivaled. When I think of reversals, I think of wrestling. I think I mentioned uh, maybe a month or so ago that my youngest son... Um, started wrestling. And if you don't know anything about wrestling, so it's, it's mano a mano, right? Two, two people standing there, they get in their little position, wait for the ref to, to blow the whistle, and then they're going at each other. They're, they're trying to ultimately pin each other, right? But, it, but first it starts with taking the other to the ground and then trying to, uh, trying to, to be in control of them, right? And you get, you get two points for a takedown. Once you take them down and, and you're the one in control and the, the one underneath is working hard to not only not get pinned, but, but they don't want to, they don't want to just not get pinned. They want to win the match, right? So, so they try and it's amazing in wrestling to watch the person on the bottom fighting, fighting, and all of a sudden they reverse it and, and they're on top and, and they get two points. And that's what I picture here in, in this in this book is God is a God of reversals. It, it looks like he's down, he's out, and then suddenly he's on top. He, he flips it over on its head. And today in our passage, Israel's demanded for a king for all the wrong reasons. And God says, go ahead, give him the king. And it looks like, looks like he's on the bottom, but just wait. Wait to see how God reverses this. Chapter 8, verse 9 says, Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. Verses 11 through 17, we'll have it here up on the screen. This is what he says the king will do. He's going to take, 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 take. Uh, I suspect that one advantage that they thought a human king would give them is that they could have some kind of control, some kind of say in the king, in the kingdom. But in reality, he was going to control them. What they thought would be greater freedom for them would actually be oppression. Really having God as Lord of your life is where we have freedom. Giving him control is what gives us the greatest freedom that we can experience because our life is in him as it was created to be. Well, Israel found out that this king that they asked for would not give them what they'd hoped for. Verse 18, and in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. God granting their request is an act of judgment. And we will see uh, that, that if people insist on rejecting God as king, then God will let them have what they've asked for. He'll give them their desire and will allow them to suffer the consequences of the rejection of God as king. And we see this throughout scripture. Maybe your mind goes to Romans 1. Paul says that God will give, uh, give the unrighteous people over to what they want. He'll give them over to the lusts of their heart. He'll give them up to their dishonorable passion. He gives them up to their debased mind. 
but we know this through personal experience too, that we, we want something, we ask for it, and finally God says, okay, here you go. You get what you ask for as well as all of the baggage that comes with it when we choose something over God. Our desire to be free from God's rule, to follow our longings is punished by the experience of being given over to our godless ways. You thought that you found something that was better for you, but, but you realize it's not what you thought. It doesn't fulfill you like you thought it would. Maybe you're satisfied for a moment, but that moment is fleeting and it doesn't fill the void that you're positive it would fill this time. In fact, it leaves you more miserable before. Sometimes it literally leaves you sick to your stomach. And that's God's grace, actually. Right? When we see that, that this isn't good, that we don't have to live this way, that God, in fact, is good, that God gives life, that God gives peace, that he gives rest, that, that he alone can forgive us. God does know what is best. Well, Israel is warned by Samuel, and this is their response in verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And you should hear that last line and go, wait a second. That's what God did. They're warned and they, they refused to obey the voice of Samuel, which is the word of God. And their heart is revealed a little more when they say, no, we want this king to go before us and fight our battles for us. Exodus 14, 13. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. He says, you just have to shut your mouth and God's going to fight for you. Israel already had a king that went before them. Remember the, the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke that would go before them. Remember over and over again, God defeated their enemies. They had what they wanted. There's no better version of the, what they wanted than Yahweh. But Israel forgot what they had. I had a friend just tell me a story the other day. Uh, his his uh, parents built uh, a, just like a basic track home in a neighborhood back in the 70s. And they, uh, they, they needed to remodel, needed to, they wanted to remodel their bathroom, right? And they're cutting into the wall and, and the son, he sees something and he, he cuts further than, than he'd planned on cutting. It's like, dad, there's something weird in your wall, which don't be scared. Um, and the dad's like, what are you talking about? I built this place myself. Like, I know what's in my walls. And, and he cuts further, and he gets a flashlight, and he can see that there's a coffee can. And, and then he, can see, he pokes another spot and realizes there's a coffee can there, and the whole wall is lined with coffee cans. And they open up the coffee cans to find silver bars and, and silver coins. And the dad's like, the dad didn't remember. He didn't remember. He built the place. It took him a long time to realize, like, oh, yeah, I didn't trust banks back then. And, and I hid all this silver in my walls. I don't know, but I'm guessing they checked some other walls in the house, too. Um, but, but he didn't remember. It was like out of sight, out of mind. Israel had forgotten what they had in the Lord. Right? And it's easy to do when we neglect the Lord, when we don't remember him. 
But like, like when, we, when we put, spiritually speaking, when we put life on cruise control with the Lord, we let other things kind of infiltrate our lives to, to take up the space that the Lord resided in and we forget the riches that we have in God. I think that's what Israel did. So the Lord says to Samuel, give them what they want, make him a king. And, and chapter 8 ends with Samuel telling everybody, go home. Go back to your cities. And it just feels like this huge letdown. You can feel the sadness in, uh, in Samuel. In chapter 9, we find out who this king will be, as you heard uh, from, from Gypsy Saul. He just thinks he's looking for his dad's donkeys who are lost. And, and um, it's interesting, Saul's name, it derives from the Hebrew word, which means asked. So, um, so Saul's name could be translated asked for. And, and ironically, he'll be the king that Israel asked for. We'll make a long story short, as you heard, uh, God tells Samuel he's going to meet this guy named Saul, and this will be the king. This will be, as he says in verse 16, the prince over Israel. Verse 16, tomorrow about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. God will provide Israel what they asked for. But God's purpose for this king would not be the same as the purpose that they had in mind. Even though their request was a rejection of God as king, they would continue to be like his people, not like the other nations. You may have noticed there in verse 16, if you can go back to that, it says, my people, three different times. God's making it very clear that they would continue to be his people. He's given them what they want, but they would be his. They would not be like the nations. While God was giving them a taste of what they wanted, he wouldn't fully let them go. They would not fully become like the other nations of the world. And this, they, they will be his people, which we'll see clearly in chapter 12. Verse 17, when Samuel, saw, uh, or saw, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Restrain is a really strange way to talk about what a king will be like. And Saul will be a mixed bag. There are some things that he will do that are very good. And there are plenty that he will do that will be very bad. Well, Saul tells, uh, or Samuel tells Saul, that his donkeys have been found, that his dad's worried about him. And then eventually he tells him that he is going to be the king of Israel, that the Lord uh, has chosen him. Saul heads home, bumps into his uncle. He says, where you been? We were looking for the donkeys. And then we bumped into Samuel. Oh, what did Samuel say? Oh, Samuel told me the donkeys had been found. And then he doesn't say anything about becoming king. Saul is reluctant to follow the word of God through Samuel. This wasn't just someone telling Saul, like, hey, you'd be a good king. Like, no, no. He, he told him, the Lord is making you king. The Lord is setting you king over Israel. And we'll see more and more of this with Saul, including in next week's passage. Samuel told Saul he'd be the king. He gave him the details of everything that would happen on his journey home. And all of those things come true, just as Samuel told him. Then in 1018, Samuel, he had gathered all of Israel at Mizpah is going to reveal who the king is. He said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were, uh, that were oppressing you. 
But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So they they come before the Lord and, and it's narrowed down to the tribe of Benjamin and then it's narrowed down to Saul's clan and, and they narrow it down and narrow it down and they, they can't find the king. They say, where, where is he? Is there someone else that's supposed to come? And, and God tells them, your king's hiding in the baggage, right? He's, he's hiding among the luggage and they, they get Saul out of there. And, and this is funny, but I think it's also, it's, it's another uh, it's another window into who Saul is, right? He is, he's reluctant to follow God's revealed word to him. I think this is a sign of things to come with him. Well, in chapter 11, there's a battle with the Philistines, right? You heard the deal that they were proposed. Like, yeah, you can surrender, but we're going to gouge out your right eyes. Um, they didn't want that. So, so they, they, uh, they send out the word. Saul hears about it. He gathers the people, and they end up winning. They win the battle. And the people want to give Saul credit. But Saul surprisingly reminds the people that it's the Lord that has delivered Israel. He didn't take credit. He didn't take the glory. But he pointed God. uh, He pointed the people to God. And this is what you'd hope for from a good king of Israel. And chapter 11 ends with the people making Saul king before Yahweh, the true king of Israel. And then we get into 12. We see, we will see that, that they have rejected God as their king, and Israel will even come to see that. Samuel is going to present a case, um, like think of a, a court case to Israel. He's going to present the faithfulness of God, and he, in that he'll help them think more deeply about what they've done in asking for a king when they already had the Lord as their king. He kind of holds up a mirror so that they can finally see their wickedness and their sin. Samuel begins by asking the people if he himself had, had cheated them in any way. And of course they say, no, you've been great. And, and then he goes to remind them of how God has been faithful to them. He provided Moses and Aaron. They were delivered from Egypt. He brought them to the promised land. Even though Israel, you rebelled time after time, God has provided leaders. He, he reminds them of the judges, judges like uh, Jerubbabel, Barak, Jephthah, and now Samuel himself. But then verse 12 comes. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, uh, for whom you have asked for, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. And those two things seem to contradict a king you have chosen, a king you have asked for, but behold, the Lord has set a king over you. What was Israel supposed to do with this king that they've asked for in sin and the king that the Lord has set over them? Verse 14, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. Do you see the grace of God here? Israel, you've rejected God as your king, and yet he's making a way. He's giving you and your king a chance. If you obey, if you fear the Lord, if you listen to his voice, 
If you do not rebel, it will be well. It says, not rebel against the commandment of the Lord that could be restated, not rebel against the mouth of the Lord, or not rebel against the word of the Lord. A good test to see if God is your king is do you obey God? Do you obey what God says? Will you obey? Do you know what God says? You know by reading his word. I know many of you have probably started in in early January a Bible read-through. If you haven't, if you're not reading the word, I'd encourage you to jump in. Start now. It doesn't, we, I know we like to start in January and end in December. That doesn't matter. You can start whenever you want. I encourage you to do that. I just started uh, a Bible read-through with Ron Frost, one of our missionaries. We just met last week for the first time. If you want to obey God's voice, you need to know what in the world he has said. Verse 15, we've got to keep going. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. If you don't obey but rebel, the hand will be against you. And we remember the hand of the Lord being heavy on the Philistines. That did not go well for them. Well, then Samuel tells them God's going to do something miraculous in front of you right now. It's, it's, it's the middle of summer, harvest time. There's not supposed to be rain, certainly no thunderstorms, and yet that's what God does. He sends this crazy storm, and that combined with the case that Samuel has built up against Israel, the people see their own sin. They realize they have rejected God as their king, and they cry out to Samuel, will you pray for us? We need you to pray to the Lord your God. They won't even say their God because they know how they've offended him. They say that, that we might not die for the evil and asking for this king. And this is what Samuel says in verse 20. Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. Anything we turn to instead of God is empty. Any number of things call us every day, try and get our attention so that we would turn away from the Lord. And and my guess is you know this, I know this, and yet we still get distracted. We still have wandering eyes. We still get duped into thinking that this new shiny temptation is going to finally give us what we want, that the promise of this fantasy will not leave us empty. What empty things, Harvest, are you turning to? Verse 22, this is crazy. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Why would God be so faithful to us when we are so unfaithful to him? He, 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 he delights in making a people for himself. He's going to do it for his namesake, for his glory. And many of you know how it will turn out for Saul if you don't read ahead, or even if you do read ahead, get, get in the story. Uh, but Saul, in, in many ways, is the king that Israel deserves. In fact, so many of the kings of Israel, they're, they're pretty rotten. Even the good ones, they don't do that great. Samuel, he's not the prophet. He doesn't seem like the priest that Israel deserves. He's faithful. He cares deeply about them trusting in the Lord. He's committed to pray for them and to point them to the Lord. He tells them to consider the great things that he's done for them, and that's a good thing for us to do, to regularly remember what the Lord has done, how he's provided for you. Consider how he's brought you through dark valleys 
remember how he's opened up your word to you so that you can see this is not just a book, but it's God's word. It's living and active. Consider the prayers that he has answered for you. Remember the prayers that he answered with a no and that you praise God for today because you see that those would not have been good for you. Consider the fears that he's met you in and walked you through. Consider when he's comforted you during immense loss, when he's given you peace in circumstances where peace doesn't make any sense. Consider how he's protected you from harm, sometimes protecting you from yourself. And certainly when we consider the good that God has done, we remember Christ, the king who took on flesh, that died and rose again to make you his own if you would trust in him, if you would place your faith in him. And what's crazy is he did this knowing that we would be unfaithful. Who does that? If you're a boss and you were going to hire somebody and you knew they'd be a bad employee, you would not hire them. Or if you're getting married and you knew your spouse was going to be unfaithful, you would not marry them. And yet Jesus dies for us knowing our eyes would constantly look elsewhere, that we would constantly look for other kings to put on the throne The only way we can remain faithful to the Lord is through the Lord. Jesus intercedes for us like we talked about last week. 1 John 2 tells us that that Jesus advocates for us before the Father. We know the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the truth in God's word. reminds us of the words of Jesus. That the power of the Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is in us. Jesus is the king that you didn't ask for, but he's the king that you need. John 18 Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And this is what Jesus says in verse 36. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Do you hear what he's saying there? When he says, my kingdom's not of this world, he's saying, I am not a king like all the other nations have. King Jesus is altogether different. He's different from the king requested in 1 Samuel. His kingship is not of this world. When we long for leadership, uh, human power or or governments or authority, it's silly because the king that we need is Jesus. No leader, no government or anything else can give us peace, can give us rest, can forgive us, can give us security, can give us justice like Jesus does. Jesus is very, very different than the king that Israel asked for. He's a king that gives forgiveness, that gives justice, security, and peace, a king worthy of all our trust, service, and worship. He's a king worthy of listening to and obeying. Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can look at Israel and, and so often just see ourselves and realize that we're no different from them. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness to Israel. Lord, I thank you that you're faithful to us. I thank you that it pleases you to make, to make a people of your own, that, that you will not forsake us. Jesus, I pray that we would obey you, that we wouldn't get distracted by all the things that are out there, The things that we distract ourselves with, Lord, I pray that we would see them for what they're worth, and it's nothing compared to you. God, I pray that our hearts would be yours, that we would follow you, that we would love to be obedient to you, and in you, we would experience life, Lord, that we would experience real freedom in knowing you, King Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.